0: Today, we get to start a brand new sermon series, Um, and so uh, the sermon series is called Binge Reading the Bible. It's an unusual title, um, but many of you are familiar with binge watching, all right? Uh, If you're my age or older, you guys know that we did not grow up with the ability to watch uh, shows on demand. Uh, So if you wanted to watch something, uh, you actually had to be at the TV when it came on y'all remember that? There's a thing you call, yeah, I actually grew up where we had the antenna dial, where you actually had to move the antenna so you could get the TV. Y'all know those little dials that you turn and the antennas turn, so, we, you know, you have your three channels. So, y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about, and the young people are like, what are you talking about? Uh, yeah that's we grew up that way so if we wanted to watch a show we caught maybe half the shows and uh, and you missed the rest now if you watch a show you get on Netflix you get on uh, you know Hulu you get on Amazon Prime you get on whatever it is you get on it and you can watch the season right the entire season from the first show to the end without stopping and so you get the complete story And so my kids know more about the shows that I watched when I was a kid than I do, because they've seen all the episodes, and I haven't. So they've been able to to fill in the missing pieces. Now, why do I share all that? Because I think many times when we read Scripture, it's kind of like we grew up. You get a piece here, you get a piece there. And sometimes we miss the overall storyline of the Bible. And so if there's... Something that I really strongly desire for this church, it's for you guys to have a hunger, a desire, a thirst for learning scripture, for getting in the word, for reading and learning and, and just getting into it yourself. I, I don't want you to come to church and say, okay, someone's got to tell me and explain it to me. Okay, I'm, I'm just going to tell you from the very beginning, this whole series is about Every single one of you can understand the Bible. Do you believe that? Because I, I see so many people that think, well, I can't understand it. It's too deep. It's too uh, confusing. It's, uh, it's too, you know. and, and I want you to know that the Bible was written by ordinary people for ordinary people. And, and so every single person in this room, you can understand Scripture. And so what we're going to do, we're going to break down the Bible into the sections, into the seasons, so to speak. And and so you can kind of see the overall storyline of the Bible. We're going to show how they all tie together. Uh, We're going to go over problems with interpreting and understanding what you read. And I pray that you come out of this with a stronger, deeper faith based on what God's Word has revealed to us. Now, I will say one of the things that's gotten a lot of news lately and on social media, especially for our young people, is this whole idea of deconstruction. And I'll probably do a sermon series about that sometimes too. Um, But the whole idea of deconstruction, and it varies depending on who defines the term a little bit. But a lot of people are saying, I'm walking away from what I've believed. I'm deconstructing and I'm tearing it apart and I'm building something back. Now, I would say if you're walking away from man-made traditions, legalism, uh, weird denominational beliefs that don't match the Bible, if you're walking away from that stuff and you're building back your faith based on what the Bible actually says, then that's a good thing. All right, that can be a very good thing. But if you're tearing all of it down and throwing out everything you believe and then picking and choosing what to believe based on what makes you feel good then that's a bad thing. And so I, I, I want to challenge you a little bit. Let's really get back to what the Bible says. Even the parts that make us uncomfortable, even the parts that we may struggle understanding, and let's see how they tie together. We see why they're there. Uh, there was an article I read this week Um Uh, And it said, if you're down on the Bible, maybe you're not reading it right. These messages are in memes that we can see on social media right now. And these are actual memes that they had shown. And the Bible is pro-slavery. The Bible is anti-women. The Bible teaches that violence is good. The Bible is anti-science. All this stuff. That's what our young people are being bombarded with and being told and being told you can't trust the Bible. You can't believe what it says. You really, uh, there's problems in the Bible. So it, it's an antiquated book. It's full of all these messages. Um, comedian, magician, Penn Jillette, uh, you know, Penn and Teller. He says, reading the Bible is the fast track to atheism. That's what he said. He said, if you just read it, it's going to lead you to athe- I don't agree with that. I don't agree with it at all because I believe when the more we get into the word, I believe we can trust the word. I, I, the problem is that we can easily misunderstand what we read if we don't view it as part of the overarching story of the Bible. And when I use the word story, can I just tell you up front, sometimes we think in our mind we we kind of uh, associate story with fiction. I, when I'm using the word story, I'm meaning it's it's a real historical account, a real historical story of of what's happened here. So don't so don't misread that when I say story. Um, but when I when I look at the story of the Bible, uh, we're going to learn today some 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 things that will help us understand why things are in certain places. Um, and this is going to be a series that we're going to stay in for really a couple of months. So we're going to be here a, a little while. Um, the problem, you know, I, I'm just I'm just going to tell you I'm really scared for our young people today, especially when they go to college, um, because there's so much misinformation being Uh, kind of taught and thrown at them they need to know what they believe why they believe it and how to defend it and how to explain it and and they're not going to get that unless we talk about the hard stuff in the Bible and so we've got to talk about it we've got to dig into it uh, we've got to learn that the Bible is a hundred percent fully inspired by God um, but it's also written by humans that were moved, that were inspired by God. And so we've got to look at how all of that plays together uh, and, and, is, and is combined into what we know as the Bible today. Now, I'll tell you a few resources. I always like giving resources when we start off a new sermon series um, in case you want to go a little bit deeper on your own. Um, And so I'll give you a couple of books, a couple of videos to to check out. One book is How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee. It's kind of a long, uh, it's been a very popular book for a long time. Uh, It kind of gets into, uh, it's almost like a classroom type book. So it gets into a lot of information, but it's really good. Another book is How How Not to Read the Bible by a pastor named Dan Kimball. Uh, and what he does is kind of talk about all these hard passages and, and, and show how people are ta- taking things out of context. They're uh, not really understanding what they're reading, why they read it. Um, and so that's a, a, another book that's good. There's also a lot of Bible project videos, and I've shown some of them before. I'm actually going to show one today. Um, and so, the Bible Project, um, what they've done is gone through book by book of the Bible and explained different books and the themes and uh, kind of outlines and how things tie together. Uh, and then they have word study videos, they have thematic videos. Incredible. They've got their own app, the Bible Project app. You can find the videos on YouTube, you can find them on Right Now Media. Uh, all sorts of places you can find their videos, but they are really impressive um, what you can learn from those videos. But I share that to say we've been talking the last few weeks about growth, about transformation, but our goal is not just to increase our knowledge and our understanding. Our goal is to see our lives transformed by the power of the gospel. And so with that said, I want to open up with this verse, 2 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God. Now we believe this here at Cornerstone. I make no apologies for this. That word inspired is literally God-breathed. Uh, it's even translated that way sometimes. All Scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I'll just say that there are a lot of people out there that their, their mission is to disprove, to discredit the Bible. And a big reason why, and I, it's hard, I can't judge their motives, but I, I can kind of have some insight into why they're doing it, is because if you can disprove or discredit the Bible, that means you don't have to live by it, <laughs> right? It, it means that you can look at it and say, well, I don't really believe what this says, so I'm free to do whatever I want to because I don't answer to God. And so a lot of people, they have a vested interest into discrediting the Bible because they're not living according to its rules and principles. But when you do believe the Bible, would you agree with me that if you believe that God is who He says He is, that Jesus truly was God in the flesh and He came to live a perfect life, He came to die on our behalf, to take our sins upon Himself, when he's coming back again, do you agree with me? Then that's going to change how you live your life. Then it's going to change everything about how you live. So this is why it's so important. We've got to, to realize that this is serious. Now, I'll give you just a few general things here to remember as we go through this and maybe to make you think a little bit. One is we need to think that realize that the Bible is more like a library instead of a book. What do I mean by that? Well, when we look at the Bible, uh, it is a collection of books written over 1,500 years by numerous authors in different genres and different languages. Um, and so when we open the the Bible, it's like going into a library and pulling a book off the shelf and looking at it. And so if you go into a library, your books are uh, kind of sorted by Theme, right? Uh, I don't know if they still use the Dewey Decimal System and all that stuff. I don't know why we had to learn that in elementary school, but everybody, um, you you, you know the the drill. You go in and you find your different sections. So when we go into the Bible, it's like we have our sections. We have the law, we have the prophets, we have historical narratives, we have the gospel, we have wisdom literature, we have poetry, uh, we have apocalyptic literature. All these, we have letters that were written. And so there are all these different sections. And each section, we kind of read differently because there are rules that go along with that type of writing. And I've shared some of these over the years, just so you kind of, and and as we go through this series, we'll we'll share some more. But uh, it's very easy to pull a verse out of context and apply it in a way that it was not meant to the original readers and listeners. I'll give you a few quick examples. You may have heard these before. Uh, one is in uh, the book of Proverbs. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. How many of you have heard that as a promise from God, that it is a promise? If you do this, your child is going to do the right thing. They will come back. No exceptions. That's a promise from God. The problem is that's in wisdom literature. That was not written as a promise. It is not written as this is what God says as a promise to you and all who hear it. It was written as this is wisdom from Solomon. That means it generally happens, but there are exceptions. That means that there will be exceptions. that You can't claim it as a promise when it was not written as a promise. Does that make sense? Another one. Uh, one that's really common today. We've talked about this before. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Wonderful verse. It does not mean that you can go and run faster than everybody else, that you can jump higher, that you can score more points uh, just because Jesus is on your side. Paul wrote it in prison uh, after talking about, I've learned to be content with little, with everything. I, but all I really need is Jesus. <laughs> That's his whole point in writing that. He's like, I, I'm, I'm in chains, I'm in prison. I've had a lot, I've had little Here's the point of life. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. He's what I need. I need Jesus, and that's it. I don't need all this other stuff. Do you see how we can? In the context, it was a letter written to a church to uh, to encourage them from the midst of his own hardship. You see, that's how we have we have to understand who he was writing to, why he was writing it, what was the intended purpose. These are questions we've got to ask when we study scripture and so we can't pull a verse out of context we we also have to learn that many parts of the bible were written to specific people at a specific time for a very specific purpose and so we can't just take something that was written always and apply it directly to us we've got to understand why it was written and some we can learn lessons from it we can and some things do apply to us so we have to know when uh, when and how to to make that decision so, that's some of the background, uh, that's some of the introduction. Um, I'm going to borrow a phrase throughout this whole series. Um, I'm going to borrow it from the Bible Project, and this is my first point this morning, though. Here's, what we've, we, where, here's where we start. We believe the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. And so, I, I'm borrowing this straight from the Bible Project, but I, I love this statement. And the Bible Project says from page one to the final word, we believe the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. This diverse collection of ancient books overflows with wisdom for our modern world. And as we let the biblical story speak for itself, we believe the message of Jesus will transform individuals and entire communities. Many people have misunderstood the Bible as a collection of inspirational quotes or a divine instruction manual dropped from heaven. And most of us gravitate towards sections we enjoy while avoiding parts that are confusing or even disturbing. And so all the Bible points to Jesus. Everything in it from the very opening chapter of Genesis to the last words of Revelation. It's all a unified story inspired by God that points us to Jesus. And so I think that's where we have to start and we have to understand Uh, from that book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, he said this, he said, In order to communicate his word to all human conditions, God chose to use almost every available kind of communication, narrative history, genealogies, chronicles, laws of all kinds, poetry of all kinds, proverbs, prophetic oracles, riddles, drama, biographical sketches, parables, letters, sermons, and apocalypses to interpret properly The then and there of the biblical text, one must not only know some general rules that apply to all of the words of the Bible, but also need to learn the special rules that apply to each of these forms, these literary forms, these genres. And so that's my goal in in doing this series. I want to give you the tools that you need to be able to take what you've learned and understand it and then apply it to your life today. And so, if you constantly think of the book as this some mysterious, you know, mysterious book that you have to unlock and you have to figure out all these secret riddles, you're missing the point because, again, it was written to ordinary people by ordinary people. It was written so that we could understand, that we could learn. And so, that's really, uh, that's really what we're doing in this series. Hebrews 4 says this. It says, The Word of God is alive and powerful. There's no other collection of books like this in the world today. Because when we read it, it says here, It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And so when we read Scripture, there's something that happens that doesn't happen with anything else. And for the believer, part of it is that the Holy Spirit indwells us and helps us understand what we're reading. It helps us know right from wrong. It helps us apply it. It helps us. That's why it says it sees into us. It cuts us wide open and it sees our innermost thoughts and the desires. That's a a function of the Holy Spirit working inside of us. But when we read it, it just comes alive. It, It speaks to our life today. It's not this dry, history, boring book that we have to read in school. Can you relate? (laughs) There's something different about the Bible. And so every time we open it up, it's speaking directly to us. And, And if you're here today and you say, I wish God would speak to me. He's telling you I am. All you have to do is to read my word to you. Read the Bible and it will speak to your life today because it's living and it's active. And so, when it comes to understanding the Bible, we all have to start somewhere. And if you start a Bible reading plan at the beginning of the year, you're usually in the first five books of the Bible. And it's, it's really, it kind of forms the, the basics for us. Now, uh, I was thinking back to college, um, I, had, I was an engineer for a number of years before I entered the ministry and um, we had a, a couple of classes we had to take and we had to master before we could move on to anything else. For engineering it's calculus and so I was one of those weird nerds that really actually enjoyed math and calculus so we had two semesters of it five hour calculus back then so you had 10 credits of calculus you had to get and take and pass before you could move on to anything else. That was the basics. That was kind of what you had to master before you can move on. And I'm going to say that here in Scripture, we have these first five books of the Bible, which are collective, uh, which are really combined together in, in, in the ancient text. And those are the basics that introduce us to who God is to why He came, to how we can have a relationship with Him, to to the, the rules that He has established for that relationship, to how He created the world, to what happened when we disobeyed God. It lays all of this out. This is the basics for understanding Jesus. Because if we don't understand creation, we don't understand the fall, we don't understand why Jesus had to come and to die for us. And so, I, I kind of want to jump in today. and We're going to talk about the first five books of the Bible. The point up here that I'm going to show is the first five books of the Bible, they're called the Pentateuch, and they introduce us to the one true God. And so, from ancient times, these first five books of the Bible, uh, of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, they've been considered together as one literary unit. They've been uh, known as the, the Torah, the Law, Or the Pentateuch, which literally means the five scrolls. Now, the New Testament refers to these books as the law of Moses. And so they contain this whole story of God. The story of creation, the fall of humanity, the the redemption, the giving of the law, the covenant made between God and the children of Israel. And so it really does set the tone for the rest of the Bible. And so just like any other story, the beginning is what really establishes who the the main characters are. And we see that here. It's about God. Uh, One writer, uh, one commentary I read this week said this. It says the importance of the Pentateuch hardly can be overstated. Why? Because it's important historically. For here is an accurate record of, of the primitive periods of human adventure. It's important theologically. For here is the explanation of the predicament of the race. It's important um, scientifically. For here we we see the details of the formation and the filling of the earth. It's important legally. For here we have the oldest and most influential law codes known to man. It's important sociologically because it reveals the origins of the basic unit uh, of society, which is the family. And so this is why this whole section is so important. And so to kind of explain this, I started to do this on my own, and then I went, well, the Bible Project has already done a pretty good job of this. I'm going to let them do it. So we got permission to show this. Uh, I didn't know if it would get pulled down or not. Sometimes Facebook is a little picky. First service, they didn't, so we're going to show it again. Um, And so let's watch this
1: and learn about the law. You're most likely familiar with the Ten Commandments in the Bible, stuff we generally take as good advice. Don't murder, don't steal, honor your parents, the list goes on. And those are just the first ten. They're actually a total of 613 commands, all given to ancient Israel, found in the first five books of the Bible, which in Hebrew are called the Torah. Now, the word Torah is usually translated in English as the law because it has all of these laws in it. And as you read through them, you wonder, Am I supposed to obey some of these, all of these? I mean, what is the purpose of the law? Well, that translation is kind of confusing because while the Torah has laws in it, the book itself is fundamentally a story about how God is creating new kinds of people who are fully able to love God and love others. And when Jesus taught about the Torah, he said that he was bringing that story to its fulfillment. So walk me through the story and how it is fulfilled. So the story begins with God creating humanity who rebels. And God chooses Abraham to bless all of the nations through his family, who end up in slavery down in Egypt and so God rescues them. Then at Mount Sinai, God makes a covenant with Israel, like an agreement. And all of the laws that Moses gives to Israel are the terms of that agreement. They are like a constitution. So some of the laws are about rituals and customs that set Israel apart from the nations. Other laws are about social justice or morality. And by following these, Israel would show the other nations what God is like. Okay, so the rest of the Torah is just the complete list of laws that Moses gives Israel? Mm, No, the rest of the Torah just continues the story. And the 613 commands are only a selection from that original constitution. And even these have been broken up and placed at strategic points within the story. Now, pay attention because you will see a really clear pattern. Moses gives the first laws to Israel. Don't worship other gods. Don't make idols. And then right after that, there's a story of Israel breaking those very laws. Yeah, they worship the golden calf. And so Moses gives some more laws and then you get more stories of rebellion. Some more laws, rebellion again, some more laws, more rebellion, and you start to see the point. Right, no matter how many laws, they're just going to continue to rebel. So, at the conclusion of the Torah's story, Moses gives this final speech to Israel as they prepare to go into their new home. And he tells them, you guys, I know that you are not going to follow all of God's laws. You have proven to me that you are incapable. And Moses says, the problem is that their hearts are hard and that they are going to need new, transformed hearts if they are ever going to truly follow God's law. And he was right. I mean, the story goes on to recount Israel's total failure. They go into the land. They break all the laws. Right. Now, the next section of books in the Jewish tradition are the 15 books of the prophets. And they reflect back on the story. For example, Ezekiel, he said that if Israel was ever going to obey the law, God's spirit would have to transform their hard hearts into soft hearts. And Jeremiah said that's when obedience to God's commands wouldn't feel like a duty, but they would be written deep in their hearts. And Isaiah He promised a future leader, Israel's Messiah, who will lead all of the people in obedience to the law. Now, in Jewish tradition, all of these books together are called the prophets, even the historical books, because they're continuing the story told from the perspective of the prophets. Okay, so we have the law and the prophets, and they're telling one connected story about God's desire to bless the whole world through a people, Israel, who it turns out needs a new heart. Yes, and Jesus saw himself as continuing that story so he agreed with the law and the prophets when he taught that it's out of the human heart that come the most ugly parts of human nature it's like the default setting of our hearts is opposed to god's law but jesus also said that he came to solve that problem and in his words to fulfill the law so what does he mean there to fulfill the law well first he said that the demand of all of the laws in the torah could be fulfilled by what he called the great command that we are to love god and to love others So that seems pretty easy. I mean, we all want to love. Well, we think we want to love. But Jesus showed how love is far more demanding than we realize. So he quotes the law, do not murder. And he says, yes, not killing someone is a very loving thing to do. But then he also says that when you treat someone with disrespect or when you nurse resentment against them, you are also violating God's moral ideal because you are not treating that person with love. And so Jesus said true love ought to extend even to our own enemies. So even though this command seems very simple, Jesus showed how our hearts are not currently equipped to fulfill even this basic command of God to love others. And that is kind of a downer. But where Israel failed, Jesus brought this story to its fulfillment. As Israel's Messiah, he fully loved God and others. And he showed all of the nations what God is truly like. He did this through his acts of compassion and mercy and ultimately by loving his enemies even unto death. And After his resurrection, he told his followers that he would send God's Spirit to transform their hearts so that they could follow him and fulfill the purpose of the law, to love God and to love their neighbor. So this fulfills the story of the law and the prophets, or in the words of the Apostle Paul, the one who loves fulfills the law.
0: One of the things that you'll see very often is people take the Old Testament laws from Leviticus, say and try to apply them to us today. What they fail to realize is that those laws, many of them were written uh, to the Jewish people so that they would be separate from the world around them. They would be different. So when you read rules about not eating shellfish or or, uh, tattoos or uh, not wearing clothing made of two different kinds of fabric, people love to pull those verses out and say, well, see, see, you're not following that, so you don't really believe the Bible. Well, what we understand is those were written to a specific people at a specific time for a specific purpose. We couldn't really follow those rules if we wanted to because we don't live in that culture today. But there are moral rules that do apply and that do continue because Jesus referred to them because they apply to people regardless of where you're at. And so again, this is all learning how to correctly understand and apply God's Word. And so today, what I want to do, I want to take one chapter um, from the Pentateuch, from the, the book of Deuteronomy, that I think does a good job of summarizing the law and why it matters. So if you've got your Bibles, you can flip to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, i I got plenty of time. Man, we, we got more time this service, so I'm not having to rush quite as much. So this is, for context, this is after the Jewish people have received the Ten Commandments, Um, And so, let me kind of just jump right in. Verse 1. These are the commands, the decrees, the regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in in the land you are about to enter and occupy. And you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all of His decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you. And you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors promised you. And so this chapter just kind of jumps right in and says, "Okay, uh, these commands, these rules, these regulations, these conditions of the covenant, my agreement with my people, they come from me and this is what was intended by them. Uh, you need to teach them to de- to the future generations. You need to teach them to depend on God and God alone. And this is going to lead you to a more abundant life. This is going to show you uh, what it means to-, to live by God's promises. And so uh, I think this kind of lays out uh, what's important. And then he goes into further detail about what this looks like, how you put it into practice. And the next section Uh, is a very famous passage of the Old Testament. It's become known as the Shema because it's a prayer. Uh, It's a prayer that the Jewish people would pray then and and now today even, in the morning and at night. And Jesus referred to it, and we'll read that in Mark chapter 12. But what we see here is a pattern for what true worship really is. And so it's foundational to all of Scripture, to to the rest of this passage, and I want to pull out just three quick points from it uh, before we close today. Here's the first point that we've got to understand. We need to listen to God closely. That applied then, it applies today. We need to listen to what God has to say. If He created this world, if He is the God of the universe and He speaks, we need to listen. The first word of the Shema is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, and it's simply listen. That word is literally is the the Hebrew word Shema. That's where we get the name for this whole prayer. It's listen. God is saying, pay attention, get focused. This is important. Don't miss what I'm about to say. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Again, this is right after the Ten Commandments. Now think about this for a minute. The Israelites, they had been through a lot. They had been in captivity in Egypt, right? Um, they had been in Egypt and uh, they had saw they, they saw there a a whole culture that was focused on worshiping many gods. Uh, they had been in the wilderness in Cana, uh, again, surrounded by people who worship many gods. And God is saying all of that. No, there is only one God and, and and it's me. And that's who you need to worship. Uh, he's refocusing them and, and, and revealing himself to his people. And so that's why he's saying this is so important. The Lord, our God alone is God. And so he's telling that this is what you've got to pass down. This is what's important. You've got to realize that. And then that leads us, once you recognize that God is who he says he is, it leads us to we should love God completely then. When we realize that God created this world, He created us and everything in this world, and He loves us so much that He desires to have a relationship with us, that He actually speaks to us, that He revealed Himself to us, our only natural response is to respond in love and thankfulness and gratefulness. And that brings us to verse 5. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. I want you to see that in the root of all of this story, love is at the root of it. If you want one verse that summarizes what God wants from us, it's simply this. This is what God desires, that we love Him with all of our heart, soul, and strength. Uh, The the phrase heart in the Old Testament, it meant the, the mind, the will, it was kind of the center of your intellect, the the this, this soul is your longings, your desires. It was kind of your, your essential being. Your strength was just your physical body. You you putting it into practice. He's saying you take your heart, your mind, your, your desires, your will, uh, your strength, your body. Everything about you. Everything that defines your nature as a human being. And that's how you respond to me in love. You put it all together and you love me with everything. Everything in you. Uh, needs to love God. And, and so when you love someone, you listen to them, you obey them. And for Israel, that meant they had to understand the terms of the covenant. They had to understand that God had to establish this relationship with rules and boundaries. And, and, and that's why the words listen and love are so tightly connected. He's saying, this is how you love me. This is how you demonstrate it. It's interesting that Jesus continued this same same train of thought. In John uh, chapter 14, this is what Jesus said. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. God's saying, once you realize, Jesus is saying here, once you realize uh, the, the relationship we have with God, Our response is going to be love. It's going to be obedience. It's going to be faithfulness. That's how we demonstrate our love back to God. And so um, Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, in the life of a believer, love is an act of the will. We choose to relate to God and to other people in a loving way, no matter what or how we may feel. Christian love simply means we treat others the way God treats us. In his love, God is kind and forgiving towards us. So we seek to be kind and forgiving toward others, toward others. God's God wills the very best for us. So we desire the very best for others, even if it demands sacrifice on our part. Love isn't simply an exotic feeling. Love leads to action. And then that leads me to the final port of this, the final point of this Shema, if we if we're going to listen we're going to love then we need to live for God too and we should live for God wholeheartedly verse 6 says and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today repeat them again and again to your children talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road when you're going to bed and when you're getting up tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates when you are passionate about something, you're going to talk about it. You're going to share it. You're going to repeat it. And I'm just telling you, it's, it's funny. I, can, I get convicted about this because there are certain things I get really excited about and I start telling everybody about. Sometimes it's my kids. I apologize in advance for I talk about my kids a lot if you're around me. I'm sorry. I just, I just do it, okay? Sometimes it's sports right? Sometimes we get pumped up about sports and we're like, oh, did you see the game last night? Did you see that last second field goal? Did you see what happened? And we're talking about it and we're telling everybody what we saw. Why? Because we're passionate about it. If we're passionate about God, it's just going to come out and we're going to tell people about it. We're going to repeat it and we're going to just keep talking about it. And he says here, this is what's so important with your kids. You've got to repeat it. And parents, as a side note, uh, if you want, something re- if you, want, you want to see your kids remember something, you need to repeat it. Um, your children will, will remember what is repeated. If you just tell them one time, they're not going to listen. They're not going to remember. They're not going to put it into practice. But when they see you do something consistently day in and day out, week by week, month by month, year by year, they're going to take that with them. They're going to notice. They're going to see the difference that it makes. They are watching you to see how you practice your faith and to see what is important to you and what you're passionate about. And so, as we mentioned earlier, this Shema it became this twice daily prayer within uh, for the Israelites. It was so widely practiced uh, that we believe that Jesus even growing up practiced and he prayed it himself. And and so he was once asked. Uh, they the, the religious leaders they they tried to trap him they tried to 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 trick him and they're, they're like okay take everything out of the law and the prophets what's most important and, and they don't know what he's going to say but this is what jesus responded in mark chapter 12 he said the most important commandment is this listen O israel The Lord our God is the one and the only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Out of those 613 commands, out of all the Mosaic Law, out of the Ten Commandments, this is what he said. He said you can summarize all of that simply by loving God and loving others. That's what you take from this. This is what you learn. This is how you put it into practice. Now, he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. So we have to kind of dig in and and understand that. And he he addresses a lot of things and Paul addresses a lot of things. and, And we take all of that because it's all a unified story that leads to Jesus, every bit of it. It's not that we elevate what Jesus says and we throw out everything else. No, it's all inspired. It's all there for a reason. It's all there for us to learn from. It's all there because God wanted it to be. Throughout the process of the people writing it and the way they were inspired to write it, and then the process of the people collecting it and pulling it together and and forming a canon of scripture that we have, uh, that, that that collecting all the, the scrolls and the writings and throwing out wasn't uh, what what was not written by who it said it was and wasn't real, and they got they formed everything together, and that's how we got our Bible today. And I want you to know you can trust it. You you, you don't have to worry about, well, is this supposed to be here? Is this not? I'm telling you, this is why we're studying this. And so Jesus came to fulfill the law and he said we fulfill it when we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength and we love our neighbors as ourselves." I just want to ask you today. Now, uh, we, we've started, this is a lot to cover. I know it's a lot of information. We started with the first five books of the Bible. They point to Jesus. They, the first five books establish the creation, the fall. And we have to understand that we need a Savior before Jesus can save us. We, we have to understand that uh, our sin has separated us from God. We have to understand that we too have failed to obey the commands that God has given us. But that's why Jesus came. He came because He lived a perfect life. He fulfilled every bit of the law. He he, he did it perfectly. He lived that life that we could never live. And then He went to the cross and became the perfect sacrifice to take our sin upon Himself. And and I share that because we need to understand that. We need to understand salvation is found in no one else except Jesus because He's the only one that can save us from the predicament, from the, the, the sin that we're in. And so if you're watching online today, if you're here in person, I just want to ask you, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Throughout this series, we're going to keep talking about Jesus. We're going to keep seeing how every bit of Scripture, every section of the Bible points us back to Jesus as the, 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 as the Savior, as the Messiah, as the one who came to save us from our sin. And so as we close today, that's, that's my question to you. Do you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind and your strength and do you love others let's pray heavenly father we thank you for this morning we thank you for this service we thank you for your word we thank you that we can worship you today and my prayer is that every person listening every person here every person watching online that they would be able to say that i know jesus as my lord as as my savior Your word tells us for God, you so loved the world that you gave you one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm so thankful for that promise you've given us. I'm so thankful for Jesus. And as we study your word, help us to, to understand it. Help us to apply it. Help us to realize that everything in it from Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Jesus. About why he came about why He needed to come, about what that He's coming back again, that we get to look forward to a time where we can be with Him forever. Heavenly Father, I'm just thankful. I'm thankful for this church. Thankful that it's a church that believes in putting Your Word into practice and showing our love for others. And so would You help us to continue doing that? Would You help us to not grow weary in this time when it's just so crazy, a time where... Uh, being a Christian sometimes is not looked favorably upon. Would you just help us to to stay focused? Would you help us to listen? Would you help us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength? It's in the name of Jesus we pray today. Amen.